about disco music first i want to get to like okay i get like it's so many different uh artists that you could label disco but i want to know in terms of the history like what was it because i know like when they had that thing at the chicago uh baseball field was it that they did the demolition night and just blew up everything what i know like they say it's homophobia and the the all that and uh, just the racism, but what was it specifically they didn't like about disco music? What was it like too poppy or? Well, like you know, just I, I, rock. I mean, rock was the that rock. Oh was yeah, the, was the prevailing genre, and it was definitely and rock was associated with straight white men. So the whole idea of um, disco being mostly represented by black women. Um, as in terms of the voices and also just the whole adornment of the male body that even for straight people, like if you look at Saturday Night Fever and the opening of John Travolta getting dressed up, that was all kind of effeminizing. So you'd have this radio DJ, Steve Dahl, who would always like, you know, get on and talk about how disco sucks and say and start talking with the list and things like that. And, you know, that's how he denies that that was you know homophobic but there's there's all this data that that happened and then on the night of the disco demolition vince lawrence who um later became a house musician but was actually working there at the door noticed that people weren't bringing in disco records to burn it was just black records it was just like claudine <laughs> or, right. or stevie wonder or something like that it wasn't the things that you it wasn't disco duck or whatever that you could maybe write off and and you know that is that is what kind of makes me very um cautious when black folks criticize house music and stuff like that because it can easily be you think that it, you know I understand when people are talking about wanting a certain authenticity in the music and a certain soulfulness in the music and everything like that. But then that later gets weaponized against all black music. So people who talked out about against disco like George Clinton, you know, George Clinton had the whole like anti-disco like um, villain and stuff, certain nose devoid of funk. And um, James Brown, they all talked about disco. And then what happened? It did make the music funkier. It removed black music entirely from the pop charts until Michael Jackson came out with Billie Jean. So, like, you know, we just, we always have to be careful in how we talk about our music and how we criticize it because it can so easily be weaponized into mm-hmm. an erasure. Yeah, I think about um, that a, a lot, um, specifically the night that you know they were showing up to burn what was supposed to be disco records but they were just black records and like craig said rock was 
the dominant genre and the face of the genre was young white men. So I think about it a lot of times, what would have happened to disco had it evolved in the same way that rock had, because these same young white men who are now the face of this genre didn't start the genre. The genre started as a black genre and the natural evolution made it now a white genre. Maybe the same could have happened to disco. Maybe if there weren't, um, these racist overtones and um, homophobic overtones um, with that genre, it would have evolved. And eventually the face of the disc, face of disco would not have been um, Donna Summer or would not have been Thelma Houston. It would have probably been some young white boys somewhere. And that would, and, and we actually saw that starting to happen. When you think about, um, Saturday Night Fever and you think about people like the BGs, you think about um like Barry Gibb and um Barbara Streisand had their 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 amazing album, but mm. they started to replace um the people who were the face of it. They started to become the face. They just a little too late, a day late and a dollar short, because by that point people had already made the association disco gay, disco black, disco bad. That was it. It wasn't oh, well, I like this one disco artist, but I don't like this other disco artist. It was, I hate the whole genre because it's Black and because it's gay. And then the hypocrisy, like, you know, Chic couldn't get any of their records played after 1979, but then Nile Rodgers went on to produce two of the biggest albums of the 80s that basically sound like Chic records in terms of production. You know, David Bowie's Let's Dance and Madonna's Like a Virgin. Yep. You know, musically, those could be chic albums, but it's just became so that's what really shows that it's hypocrisy that it is about the skin color the, of the person making the music and how it's presented because the music lived on, you know, or like Duran Duran or all these, um, the new wave bands, all of that was grounded yep. in disco and dance, but because it had a white face because it looked different and then there was a backlash against that you know what i mean it's like there in whenever the straight white male it's just now changing a little it's just now changing but i mean whenever the straight white male was not seen as being the highest music artist that you could be like you know with like a Bob Dylan or something like that that was the highest you could aspire to whenever that started getting a little bit threatened things just got cut off and i think we're seeing it still like i mean like the way they Mm -hmm. were trying to position adele over beyonce or just whatever you know it's always you know when whiteness is threatened people become violent whether it's physical violence or you know tearing up the records and stuff like that whether it's just the violence of all of a sudden knocking every black person off a playlist it's just it's just continues to happen because like what Evie was saying like what it, it was also an industry thing so when the, after the disco sucks thing the record labels fired all of the black and brown and gay people that were heading their dance departments then so like that people lost their jobs so they couldn't even advocate for the next disco star that might have been black or, or whatever because they, they were just gone and the same thing happened with um house music whereas r&b radio in the 90s was always a little bit 
mm, this is kind of gay, you know, <laughs> like they would play maybe like a show me love or something like that, but they didn't want to go full on with it. And groups would talk about how like groups like 10 city and blaze will talk about how frustrating that was. And then you got a lot of house albums in the nineties that are kind of watered down where it's like, it's supposed to be a house group, but you have some ballads on there that could be by anybody and it's not really serving anybody. And then because of that, the dance departments again began to be cut and the only people left were like the white people. And then dance music became mostly a white thing. The remixers became white. The artists became white. It's just history is just so I'm hoping that this time around <laughs> it's gonna be different, you know. Craig, it sounds like what you just said is that there's a musical What's equivalent it? of what you see politically, where like you have like a Charlottesville tiki torch march where they're shouting, You will not replace us. And you know, then there's like this this very kind of surface pushback against the fact that there's you know, there was a, a dominant culture you know, dominant mainstream. And then like the people who were the classes under would be like, hey, actually, no, we're, we're holding this thing up and we want to be on top. And so there's always this fight between like, okay, so who's going to be on top? And I, I feel like honestly, the people who are holding up the situation really should be able to be on top. And so, you know, they're typically going to have the upper hand when they decide like, no, this is what we want to hear. This is what we want to dance to. This is what we want to see represented in the media. Because if you don't do this, we will stop watching and we will stop feeding like whatever your commercial machines are. Um, but it's interesting that that disco was the, the face of that. And now with the, Re the Renaissance album, Beyonce has essentially brought that back. So it's almost kind of like, OK, so are we going to have the same power struggle again? You would hope that it, it won't repeat itself again, but again, you know, you just never know for sure. But I mean, going back to even the fact, you know, mentioning now Rogers and Sheik, you know, when you think of what was publicized in the mainstream at that time as the ultimate, you know, club experience with the Studio 54 world, and this is where disco is being celebrated, you know, and Niles told his stories that, you know, they couldn't even get into the club. And it's like, you're listening to the type of music that I create, and you're pretending that you're all about it, and this is a world where you're allowed to just openly show your love for it. But if you weren't a very well-known black celebrity, then you were still going to have trouble getting in. And, you know, that type of behavior went on for decades, of course. It's like, oh, yeah, you want what I'm producing. You want what I'm I creating. But I'm not welcome in this audience. So It's like an extension you know. of, like, when a black artist would play Las Vegas and they couldn't come in the front door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're What's good enough this? to perform on stage, but you're not good enough to just sit down and right. have an overpriced steak. I can't I can't believe the ending of disco music was because of some loser disc jockey in Chicago. I just can't. So white disc jockey. That's just such an insane like he because he got fired and at his new job. He's like, oh, this sucks. Let's uh, go to this demolition night and just burn all these like. That's ridiculous. Like, well, it was were the people bad? Stupid people in large numbers. Again, look at the last president. That's, it was a riot. That's how, I mean, like, that's how, like, some Trump shit. 
That's what they that ripped urinals like. out of the. They destroyed the stadium. Literally. They ripped urinals yep. out of the wall. They ripped seats out of the wall. And the thing about it was, there was an undercurrent throughout the country of disco sucks. Like where I lived in DC, mm. you would see a white boy with a disco sucks T-shirt on and stuff like that. So when the demolition happened, that got national coverage on the mm-hmm. new national news, which was like the equivalent of like social media so just like when trump says some nonsense that empowers people mm-hmm. when these white kids that were already talking like rock mm-hmm. and talking about this goes sucks saw this big demolition and this big fire then that gave them permission to be mm-hmm. even more disco sucks. so like they demanded that disco not be played on the radio stations and everything like that so it was a, it really was a viral moment it was not isolated to this one Thing because it just got right. Danielle Smith talks about it in her book, you know, how she heard about it in LA. It just and it really just empowered all of the people that didn't like seeing the face of you know black people dominating this music, um, that didn't like that and they wanted to end it. <laughs> and it was always a way to just cloak that racism, as yeah. we all know, that like yes. you know, when they were interviewing people, they would try to be lighthearted about it, you know, live at the event. And they were saying, you know, it's just like for fun and oh, let's just like joke and laugh. And it's like, no, it's not because we don't like black artists. And it's like, yeah, it is the same thing with the people that, you know, try to pretend that it's like, oh, no, I'm just going to these Trump rallies because I really like his tax plan. And it's like, no, it's because you're racist and you love that he hates everyone who's an other. That's yep. why. Like, if that's going to be who you are, then you shouldn't be so scared to just be public about it. So, yeah, if he's giving you the the ticket to ride on this public, you know, train to hell with all your other racist friends, right. it's like, then just admit it. And that's the thing. It's like they used that as that shield to say, like, no, it's just because the music actually does suck. No, actually, it doesn't. You're just, you know. And it's so related politically. I mean, if you think about, like, what happened in the Disco Sucks thing and then immediately following that, you get the Reagan revolution. You know what I mean? It's just, it's always related when, like, white resentment just starts to flare up. It just, it has ramifications throughout the entire political and pop culture arena you know the one good thing i think now is that we have social media not only social media but we also have digital distribution so like the ways that music was being able to be stopped in the past was that if you weren't on a major label you couldn't get in peaches or at Tower Records or at um, Manifest or, you know, whatever record store, you know, around distribution played such an important role in getting music out there, physical distribution. But now that you don't have that, then you don't have as many of the gatekeepers that can stop something. And then you also have cultural media, which will hold a corporation to account much more than they were able to do in the past. So hopefully that will... And I think that's one of the reasons why we're having much more of an elevated conversation about the Beyonce Renaissance album, even though with social media, sometimes it can get ridiculous because I've heard some queer critique of Beyonce as a straight woman being the voice of this house music. And I'm like, wait, straight black women have always been the voice of house music. Like, what do you think? (laughs) 
Martha, why, who you think Lolita Holloway, Rochelle Fleming, who do you think these right. people were? Diva, so, like, these are straight yeah. black women. Who so relax. It's like, it may have been for the community and they have been, but it was all, and there were, I have never been in a mostly black gay space dancing to house music where there haven't been a considerable number of women, you know, whether straight or gay, but that women have always, or, you know, trans or whatever, but women have always been a part of the scene. So the people that kind of are critiquing her for sort of like exploiting this thing as if black women haven't always been an integral part of dance music, that's weird to me. That's like that that kind Mm -hmm. of new just read, read some article thing and you feel like you can you know, come out with a critique because that's very strange and that that's so crazy when you were saying that it was making me think when you were talking about um the rock artists and it's like when you really think about the 70s rock singers who was the solid ones black sabbath um led zeppelin those were the two biggest groups but they stopped make at certain points they stopped making records during that time and they and who else was it you consider rock the eagles i don't consider the eagles rock you like like a led zeppelin but like you had the doobie brothers like those were different kind of records though those were kind of soulful records to me like when i hear them so it's like were y- y'all were mad that disco was taken off but what rock artist was taking that place for music you know what i mean it was like such a diverse group of artists and and solo singers and solo artists that wasn't making that kind of rock music because even people didn't like that uh didn't like uh chicago or you know what i mean those kind of groups that make those kind of records well like the rolling stones miss you and um and um what's the freddie mercury group but it's not coming to me um, um queen. Queen, queen and queens we will rock you those really shook the white rock fans because those were records that were very yes. much disco-ish yeah. records. And that's when they started feeling that their stuff was slipping away. Because Miss You was like a disco record. I mean, that was played, right. and, you know. Yeah. And We Will Rock You. I think Nile Rodgers even eventually got some money off that because of the bass line. So it's like, um, I think that's when it started getting scared. When they started also seeing their people, the people they reified yeah kind of getting mm-hmm. into this you know it just they it's it's just that fear of losing cultural power or whatever it is you know it's, it's disco the of our country it, disco kind of had it coming from all sides so you had like um the the black community or the black christian community um talking about you know it it's it's homosexual music it's music by homosexuals then you had the industry thinking that, well, you're pushing rock and roll away from the spotlight. And now you have these rock and roll artists coming around and um, they they have these disco-ish sounds. And then you have like this white uh, evangelism um, with talking about the sexuality and the lyrics and even the visuals from disco. So there are many different entities all beating down on this one genre at the same time for different things and it's just made it easier for other people to jump on that bandwagon and associate disco with bad and because of black women being the face of uh the genre um that only added more fuel to the fire because now oh it's black and it's a woman 
perfect. I can hate it and I don't have to feel bad. She's talking about uh, sexually deviant things that I don't want my family to hear about. She's talking about uh, things that I don't think young Christian people, black or white, should hear um, in the industry. You know, they're trying to take what um, and I for all intents and purposes, like Craig was saying, these people walking around with these disco suck shirts in dc of all places like where van mccoy like the home of van mccoy like the birthplace of van mccoy and you walk around with disco sucks that says to me that you don't really have a problem with the genre sonically that's not the problem the problem is you're political mindset. The problem is the way you've been um, indoctrinated into religion. The problem is the way you look at anything that's not white, Christian, and male. That was always going to be the death of disco. Like That story has been written, told, retold, and re-re-retold a million times. It's always going to be that other. Anytime you're an other you can't sit with us. You can't play here. There's no room at the end. That's what happened to disco. That's what they tried to do to hip hop until hip hop became such a phenomenon and started to cross over in a way that music from other genres was actually dependent on elements of a hip hop to be a hit. And I think that's when they caught disco. That's when they nixed disco because the hits, all of the hits all had elements of disco somewhere. Somewhere yeah. there were elements of disco and all of the popular groups started to adapt because in the industry, if you're number one and you want to stay number one, then you need to do what the people want to hear. And if the people wanted to hear disco, I don't care what group you were. I don't care what genre you were before. That's why you saw all of these, um, even though I, I know that the black church had a huge problem with disco, you saw near the end of the 80s, the beginning, near the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, people like Shirley Caesar, you saw people like Twinkie Clark, you saw people like Vanessa, um, like make these, yeah, Vanessa uh, Bell Armstrong, um, make these disco-ish albums that were fully gospel. (laughs) Judy, listen, (laughs) listen, like full gospel, but they've made it disco because you have to include these elements and those people like Twinkie Clark who student of music ear to the streets at all times who was like okay I know the church ain't gonna go for this but I know I can take this chord I know I can take a little bit of this maybe a little bit of that put it together they won't really understand what's happening or why it moves them but it's going to move them that's why disco was successful that's why it had to be killed because at that point it was infiltrating everything and that was bad for business that was bad for your political campaigns that was bad for your your churches or your sermons it was just it was bad all around well like you're saying too for me those mixes it's it's all about moving the goalposts in so many ways and there were people even that would try to align like disco and clubbing with drugs and it's like rock was all about drugs they did the same Mm -hmm. thing with rap too they try to say oh it's violent and it's about drugs and this and that it's like look at what happens with a lot of these rock shows and all of these rock artists that were heroin addicts and you know having problems with ODing and everything like that's always been there that was there with the white artists as well but they were just trying to handpick what they could critique and then act like 
well, that's the devil's work, you know? And as, you know, Craig brought it into the political space as well, it's like, yeah, then you had the Reagan revolution. And then later on with the parental advisory and Tipper Gore and all of that, it was like another way that you could just say like, this is what's polluting the children. It's like, but there's so much of those references and innuendos and all of the rock, you know, music from the 50s, 60s and 70s as well. So again, you see the same thing happening when we look at terrorism and the way people react to it. When terrorism is seen as brown and foreign, then they're like, oh my God, terrorism is terrible. But when they realize terrorism is largely in-house, often white, and then like suddenly it's like, well, terrorism is an escarate or that's not terrorism. They change the definition entirely. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay. I think people who are black see the anti-blackness showing up, but the other people who are actually enacting it are like, well, we didn't see that. That didn't happen. Well, they say that the white male domestic terrorists in this country are only that way, again, because of pop culture and everything, pushing them, you know, into the background because they they don't have this, you know, uh, this confidence anymore to just be themselves and just be a man. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. And and that's so crazy because that's just the history of our country. The history of our country is white domestic terrorism. I mean, since since the time of Reconstruction. Well, no, even before. I mean, definitely before. (laughs) Before, I mean, the whole country. Because, I mean, you know, it's like people forget about the race riots of the Red Summer of 1919. And, you know, because black people have also been so associated with pop culture, those political movements have often involved a backlash, you know, a backlash against jazz. The Nazis hated jazz. Mm-hmm. Um you know, rock and roll, there were all these um, signs against, you know, this Negro music is corrupting your children, don't let them listen to it. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, it go, it, same thing with hip-hop, you know, and I just mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, we just have to, at some point, we have to recognize the patterns and sort of try to get in front of it. And, you know, that's why, like, when... Um, I knew Beyonce and like Drake were coming out of the dance. Like I wanted to get in front of that oons oons argument. Like I didn't want people because I just wanted people to off top know that there was going to be a wave coming where people are going to try to, you know, um, demonize the music, make the music seem smaller, make the music seem less than. And one of the ways, the first way they start to do that is through language. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, let's, you know, I, I know it might be funny, it might be cute, but let's kind of police that a little bit and now because that could be one of those things that are weaponized against us. So I feel mm-hmm. like I'm trying as much as I can to use the history to sort of think in advance, but y'all saw the backlash I got. But I mean, I was <laughs> dragged for days. Just for saying, just for saying, hey, you know, don't, first I just said, you know, hey, maybe don't say this. And I tried to, like, just give more context and said, well, you know, for fans, of the, for black fans of the music, because it's black gay music, that it's by calling it uns uns, that's kind of a microaggression, you know. It is. A microaggression that caused a macroaggression of a backlash. You know, like, I mean, I blocked literally like thousands of people that week. I mean, it was just, it was just absolutely oh, I insane. I missed all of that. But well, I'm glad people, I did it. 
you know. Yeah, often people just don't like to be called out for something that they know about themselves. And, mm. you know, they just exactly. want to get louder and louder about saying, like, that's not what I mean by it, because they know then it potentially uncovers what they're really trying to say at the end of the day. So, like, that's exactly. not why I say it. And it's that's like, exactly, exactly what it yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They like, yeah. you know, they, because a lot of people are like, I never knew these people are so invested in it. Well, they are invested in those code words that they can get away with that because they don't say you can say oh i don't like this uns, uns music without having to say i don't like house music and then the associations that had that has you know there are all sorts of it's like dog whistle it's words like there are all sorts of words that because you know i got a lot of um black folks were saying they use uns uns as a critique against white music but that always came from straight black folks and i'm like you can't right. tell me there's not some homophobia in there somewhere too. Yes. You know, yeah, it is. Because why yeah. why do you need to diminish the music? Why can't you just call the music by what it is and by what the people that create it and the people that support it call it? Why can't you just do that? Why do you need to call it something else? That's the question you need to ask yourself. <laughs> so. hey, now earlier when Eric was saying that uh gospel the gospel music is one of the, the codes they haven't cracked yet. I feel like the uns uns part of the music is the only code that they're able to like take and 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 replicate for other other places. So like it's literally like kick drum, hi hat, kick yeah, drum, hi hat. Right. That yeah. they can do. But if you go and listen to mm-hmm. Renaissance, there are so many ways to move a butt that are not just uns uns. Like it's just yeah. Uh, I didn't even notice until like a couple like you know ways through um, church girl. This is not disco. Um, it, it's it's not even dance. It's literally like trap. I I missed the trap in, yeah. in, in all of this. But like, there's there's so many ways that Black people have like historically found ways to like move people to connect to that thing that makes you want to like okay rock with it a little bit even if you don't want to. And it's like, well, you know, if you think that dance music is just this kick hi hat, kick hi hat, or you know, um, four on the floor, if that's all you think it is, then listening to this will push against your knowledge of what you think you know. Yeah, it had a very New Orleans tone to it, that uh, Church Girl song, because they use that same method. It's it's in that same vein as House 2. It's just they use more claps in it. They're, they're more on the, they're kind of behind the beat. Uh, House is more in front like that, that 4-4 that four, four measure. Uh, New Orleans has that kind of delay. It's kind of, it's kind it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, what you were saying, it's completely homophobia because they use those those words because i saw a lot of black women saying that online they was like i don't like i want i uh beyonce need to come to me when she makes a a real album like what you mean it's not a real album why does it make it a real album then it makes me line of question what makes a real album are you saying just because she's uh paying homage to certain lgbt members and had those people songwriting and producing on her record is that why because you know those details came out about the song so you i know a lot of them knew that that's why i feel like those like you said is all trigger words they try to disguise it but it's i, I see it i see what they're trying to do but yeah the openness in disco music so you know if you have a problem with disco it's going to typically come back to like okay you just don't like this right yeah the whole thing about um when she makes a real album i i feel like concept albums are great for people who actually get the concept of the album when people don't necessarily get the concept mm-hmm. the confusion almost causes them to literally implode like they can't 
process with their brains how a concept is so foreign to them or how a concept doesn't necessarily speak to them. Like, and it's a clear concept with Renaissance. Like, there's a clear concept, but they will go through hoops, jump over hurdles, and under tight closings just to prove that that's not the type of music that they want from Beyonce. I think Beyonce has honestly already given us or given the world our, um, her greatest. I, I think that I'm not necessarily a person who is meant to get it or be in that generation because number one, I'm too old. Number two, I was say, number one, you're 74. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm just, I'm just too old. It's, she's not making music for me. Like I can think about the people that I love. I can say my favorite Aretha album, my favorite Erica album, my favorite Mary album. That album won't be the same for someone 20 or 30 years younger than me because they're going to connect um, a bit differently. First of all, there's the whole time as a concept. Like, I'm not the average Beyonce fan is probably 25 or 30. I would say in between there. It's not for me to get. And I don't think that it's a problem. But I think that we as consumers, we as music fans have to kind of recognize when something is for us and when it's not. And I think we've reached the point now, anybody who is um, Boomer, Gen X, and even most millennials at this point, we've reached the point where the music made now is not being made for us. It's not for us to say what will be classic in 20 or 30 years, because I can guarantee you that, uh, like Taryn and I have nephews and nieces around the same age, what they're listening to in 30 years will probably still be the Renaissance. They'll still be listening to four. They'll be listening to self-titled and that'll be their classic. You and you were talking earlier about like Gladys Knight made Claudine. That will be the equivalent of that to them in their time. Mm -hmm. Like it won't be exactly what we want because it's simply not made for us. Right. And I really wish people could notice that everything doesn't have to be for you. So it, it was a yes. great example when when Lemonade came out, I listened to it and I realized, oh, this album is not for me. Everything doesn't have to be for me. And right. for those that know the glorious skill of being able to be on social media and if something you know happens that you don't like, you can scroll past it. You don't have to say mm-hmm. anything about it. You don't have to yeah. like, you know, I, it, it's like, everything doesn't have to center you. And if it does, you keep going and let someone else have the mic, let someone else have a time in the light. Um, and in, in this instance, I feel like uh, Renaissance is a gift because even though it's so very, very black, so very, very queer, you know, everyone's invited to dance. You're not saying you can't move to it. So like mm-hmm. in, in this instance, it's like, okay, yeah, this isn't something that we're like, it's specific to a particular experience. There's something that you can grab in this if you feel like grabbing something. But what we may see is people having a reaction to the anti-blackness and not being like, look, you could just dance or you can make a problem. Which one do you want to do? Because that's going to say something about you. And it's really just a BPM problem. That's all it is, because certain people listen to music. If you listen, if you really look at certain people's uh, playlists, they have a certain uh measure they listen to like they anything our yari linux records they might have that's s like summer walker they all have that same vein of bpms but if you me i love funkadelic parliament i love 
this. I love Donna Summer. So I can, my ears can adjust to them. So when I heard this, I was excited about it. If you listen to music that's under 173 PM, BPMs, then you're not going to like Beyonce's album because you're used to listening to certain music, a certain pace. And I, I guarantee you the people, if they listen to Plastic, uh, the the uh, Virgo's Groove, they love those records because it has a bop to it and it's kind of a mid-tempo. It's not necessarily fast, but those are the fan favorites because Black women love that. I mean, not to generalize, but a lot of Black women love those songs because it bops and it sounds like an R&B record. Yeah, and I think Mark's point about everything not being for you is so integral in the discussion about what you expect from an artist in general. I personally love art. I love creativity. I love exploration. I love to see the journey of artists and I love to give them that space to explore. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't. They get angry right. at their favorite artists if they give them an album that they don't like. They don't like if the new album you put out sounds exactly like the last album because they love the last album and they just wanted more of those songs. Whereas if it's yeah. an artist that wants to take a step outside their comfort zone and wants to traipse around through other genres and, and kind of play around with something, even if that particular album within the whole scope of their catalog then doesn't resonate with me, isn't really my favorite, I still give it up to them to even explore that type of music to begin with. Right. I don't want to see someone trapped in a box and only giving you the same thing over and over again, because that's formulaic. That's when you are just like a top 40 pop artist and the label mm -hmm. just gives you, you know, what they know is going to give them the return that they want on the investment, but it's not an investment in your creativity and in your mm -hmm. spirit as an artist, like answering that calling of what you want to do next, you know, because when Prince put out Love Sexy, you know, it was totally pans in the U.S., but that's his gospel dance album, you know, even though it's not traditional gospel, you know, everything about it and the way he presented it and it being one track and, you know, it was completely conceptual for him, but a lot of fans didn't get it and, and they were like, oh, he's lost it at this point, you know, and they, they turned away from him. But, you know, someone that's really a fan of an artist who loves to dive deeper into that expression of what makes them creative in the first place is going to appreciate it. Even if you're, you're going to say, well, that's not in my top five of, you know, his 97 mm -hmm. albums. It's like, that's fine, but you should still appreciate, you know, that the effort that was put into it. It's in my top five, but I am glad that they find yeah. separated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to yeah. hear anesthesia and like pushing the right. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but exactly. You know, if you want to keep repeating it, then you have to yeah. keep rewinding it, you know. But I think, you know, that comes, the whole idea of fandom now, and maybe it's always been this way, but it's just more vocal. Like, I think people really mix up loving an artist in a way that I don't think is love, because I think love is rooted in respect. And if I love an artist, I like and appreciate what they're going through. Mary J. Blige might make an album that I like less than another album, but I know that she put her all into that album. I know that she right. went into the studio and did what the best she could do at the time, like we all tried to do, like all creative artists tried to do. So I'm going to respect that effort and not dismiss mm -hmm. it, even if it means, even if I don't particularly listen to it that much. And I think people, I think fans just want, have this idea of something. And I thought Drake said it best once when he was just like, look, you know, I can't be, 
I can make the music that reflects who I am now, but I can't put you back with your college girlfriend and put you back, you know, in your carefree life when you were first listening to The Best I Never Had. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. create that thing. I can't stop your paying your student loans when you were still in college. Like, I can't do all that. All I can do is make music that reflects me now. You're putting all of your memories onto mm-hmm. my new wanting me to bring you back to that moment in your life. And like, that's on you. And I think that's so much a part of people. And I just love, you know, so somebody like Mary, you know, if I don't like the album, this if I, I mean, I love, I think Good Morning Gorgeous is one of her best singles of her career, mm-hmm. like a career single to me. But, you know, I listened to the album and I was, you know, cool with it and everything like that. But then when the re release came out and I gave it another couple of more play, then I was just obsessed. And then I was just, and, you know, and she will always have that because I re- love her as an artist, I respect her as an artist. I will always give her that second, third, fourth, fifth chance to get me because I realized that maybe I wasn't in the space at the moment. You know, just like a lot of Janet fans don't get Unbreakable. I'm like, well, maybe you have to be 50, you know, (laughs) because like that album is about (laughs) triumphing after going through a whole You have to go through some shit that tried to break you to be unbreakable. And if you haven't gone through the breakable shit, then you can't be unbroken. You're not going to, it's going to sound silly to you. So, yeah, I get it. So, um, but that's so much, I mean, and that's part of, that's really evolution with me as a critic, you know, in ways that I was much more dismissive earlier in my career. Once I actually wrote a book and like created something that I had to then put out in the world in in um, collaboration with a whole corporation and they had ideas like what should be the cover, what should be this, what should be that. And I had to make, you know, it wasn't all my vision. I had to make certain compromises in order to make them happy and to keep me happy and all that kind of stuff. So I was, it just changed my whole perspective because I was like, well, I really can't micro critique every little artist album in a certain way and like it no longer mattered to me maybe if there was one song on there that wasn't quite exactly right because that might have been the one song that the label made them put on in order for the whole album to be released you know Hank recently I did this it's not out yet but I did the story on making of the Share My World album and you know Hank Shock Lee was just like talking me through the um, crazy process of that it of coming up with the final track list for Share My World because it was her first album on MCA after she left Mot. I mean, after she transitioned, they kept her on MCA instead of keeping her with Uptown. And like, now you had the international market involved. Now you had to diss them because they wanted her to be her biggest artist. So like, you had to please all these different people. And she was recording like you know dozens and dozens and dozens of songs and to get to that final track list and stuff and um the songs that got cut and that's why there's so many bootlegs of songs from the share my world era because there are a lot of things you know he says he wanted paradise which is actually called die but he wanted paradise to be on there and that was such a special song to angie stone that she didn't really want to let go and he had to like beg her to let it go and then it didn't even make that (laughs) so you know there's some really Mm -hmm. awful stories about this but the whole point is you can't just look at something and just judge it you have to like give the artists 
the benefit of the doubt that they tried to make the best artistic statement that they could within the conditions that they were working with, whether you like it or not, but at least give them that respect. You know, don't think you know more about music than Mary J. Blige, or don't think you know more or more invested in a, or like people who think they're more invested in Beyonce album being the success than Beyonce herself. If Beyonce is not promoting the album in the way that you think she should be promoting, that's because she's made the decision to do that, and right. she right. knows more about how she wants to be than you do. You I said, I'm such a Mary fan because I was hanging on his every word. I was like, man, I'm <laughs> such a Mary fan because I want him. I, I was want to change the whole trajectory. So let's talk about Mary instead. Let's talk about <laughs> the, the, the growth. Like when you said Good Morning Gorgeous, I'm like, that, that's such a beautiful song. Yeah, and I'm like, so rent money. Nice. Oh, rent money. Mm-hmm. I don't, let, let's I want to get on a Mary tangent, but fuck, she she has songs to where I don't even look at it from a relationship or relationship <sighs> perspective. It's, it's like, just, I listen to uh, work money. I'm like, I know people yeah. in my life that have done me dirty and I don't even associate it with a relationship. When she said, now that my rip money do, I, I, I said, fucking with you. I was like, <laughs> I felt that shit to my core. <laughs> fucking with you. I was like, you know, cost me money. I, but that no, I, just I, the majority. Oh man. No, go ahead T. But Craig's point that, you know, you can't act like you know more about what that artist is even going through at the time that they created something. Because you brought up Big before. There's a great, you know, genuine Big interview from when he dropped Life After Death. And he was saying that he already started to hear the critiques off the first single that people were like, eh, you know, like Ready to Die was a lot more raw. It was a lot more real. It was a lot more street. I appreciate that more. And he's like, I'm not broke anymore. Like, I can't rap about being broke. Like, I'm sorry if you can't relate to where I'm at right now and you're mad that I got money and I'm just in a better mood and I'm happy I'm not depressed anymore. I'm not, you know, rapping about trying to kill myself, but this is who I am now. So do you want to take this journey with me or not? You know? You know, yeah, it's think- amazing that um, you're talking about that. Beyonce has been able to take people with her, even though she is, you know, I don't know if she's ever broke, but like yeah. no, she, the level that she was at in 1997, um, there's something with the uh, the Magna Carta album with Jay Z where mm-hmm. people just yep. like couldn't get into it, and like what yeah. he was saying, like no, we we can't relate to that. But for whatever reason, people still identify with Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's amazing, and I'm I'm not mad at her. Let her keep going for it. No, that's such a good point. I happen to be, I think, one of like seven people in the world who actually did like the Magna Carta album. I mean, I just have a different um, relationship so, um, with Jay seven. regardless he has a different because I like knew seven. him like yeah. since, you know, he started. But uh, I I loved it. I was excited about it. But I understood that a lot of people were like, he's just so excessive now with the money talk. And, you know, I don't care that you have like, you know, $100 million worth of art in your house. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, but that's all music. Like, everyone's giving you a piece of themselves. Like, do you really think that Jay's going to talk about about like, oh, I'm sitting on the corner and it's his street life and what type of hustles he's making, you know, going back forth from New York to Virginia. Like, of course not that he hasn't done that in, you know, 20 plus years. But yeah, there's there's definite hatred towards that album that that's when he turned into, you know, the, the capitalist that, <laughs> you know, critiques people, about. I don't know if you watched the critique of his Khaled verse on God Did, but mm-hmm. everybody was, they were like, oh, this is Jay-Z's best verse ever. And I'm like, He's been saying the same thing on 444 and Magna Carta. Like, 
it's almost like it takes people time to get to it because that's what he's been talking about. He's been talking about, to me, it's always been sort of like the, um, sort of like, it's been more spiritual than it's been about the monetization. It's always been the connection, like when he says, oh, the spiritual ish really works. Like it's always been about him kind of making these spiritual changes and the abundance kind of started to flow. And um, so when he does the same thing on God did, people are acting like it's, somebody said it was the greatest verse in the history of hip hop. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I'm like, this has oh, just okay. been what Jay-Z right. has been talking about for the past. Right. 10 plus years. Yeah. yeah. Listen, like, I mean, I, hyperbole? No, they were, they were dead ass. And it was like, <laughs> But I think it's like, I think it's that generation that was probably mm -hmm. young and whatever and listening to like ASAP Rocky and stuff like that yeah. around the time Magna Carta. They're finally at the age where they can understand yeah. somebody talking about some deeper level stuff and they're getting into it. Like, uh, and that goes all the things like what we were saying. It's like sometimes things aren't for you. Younger people will never realize things aren't for them. That they right. think everything should be for them and they're just exactly. going to they're just going to spew off at the mouth about it and that's just life. But I think with maturity it does come where you realize that everything isn't for you and um and you also and like you, you see people come around because obviously if you like the God did first then you should have no problem with 444. You should have no problem with Magna Carta because basically mm -hmm. he's it, it's the the themes are the same throughout. Yeah. Well, y'all, y'all, we hit on so many different things. But yeah, with the disco and house, I love those worlds are all interchangeable. Like like with the 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 time measure with house and disco, it's all the same stuff. Like gospel, that gospel energy is that like literally Keith Pringle has a it's a gospel song called Call Him Up. That literally sounds like a disco record. Uh if you know that record, uh it's really fast. It's a real up tempo and it reminds me of Sylvester's over and over. Like I literally mixed it together recently and it's literally in the same key. And it's like the same beat. And it's like those worlds all collided and I, I just I just love it. I, I love the album because I'm a fan of it. I hope if anything from Drake and Beyonce dropping these albums at the education part, like I'm, I'm glad I'm seeing some people like trying to research house music and some of these records like Crystal Waters. There's a lot of a lot of those people streams are going up now because they're like, oh, I've never heard this music. Let me go. And they're like, oh, that's where she got the song from. And it was a big thing, I think, with what's her name? Di Diane Warren that uh, with the songwriting thing. That was a thing uh, on the internet I saw. They were trying to explain to her why it was so many people on Beyonce's records. But I'm like, I mean, why so many songwriters on uh, Renaissance? But she was, it's so many samples or whatever. But like I said, I Beyonce just had to say, that was, was a completely disingenuous argument. She was being shady. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, right. Because she is known for like, like only, she only, she never collaborates. Like that's yeah. always yeah. been her thing. It's always just been something. So like for her to even and she so she, but she knows but that she I mean Bacharach and David, Ashford and Simpson. I mean there have been you know Holland or there have been songwriting teams throughout the thing, and she is known for only working by herself to the point that Mariah yeah. wouldn't work with her. And Mariah finally said, okay, 
let's just do it you know because i think she was getting on her nerve so she just did that to be shady and that's why that's why i went back at her and said you're just mad that black artists don't need your record to go pop anymore exactly because there was a point where in the industry if you wanted to cross over especially in the 90s if you wanted to make it you had to have that one diane warren ballad even if you're fucking up your whole sequencing and it always 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 i'm give me you i'm the i'm talking about the uh the arms of the one who loves you Mm -hmm. i'm talking about like all of the um monica's for you i will yeah like that's the one I don't mind, but that's just well, Monica. But <laughs> just Monica. But I don't hate it. But it's just. Have you ever? There was a time in the yeah. Have yeah. you ever? What's the Leah song the, that I can't stand? Oh, uh, mm-hmm. but she read the one I gave my heart. The one I gave my heart. Yeah, because the industry was dependent on her. Like an artist, if you were a black artist, you had to you had to work with her, and because she wrote alone. That was, they were, that she was, was getting all those proceeds. She exactly. Money. She doesn't understand that we are in an age now where we don't need you. They don't need you right. to cross over. And collaboration is key and people want to share the wealth. And I think yeah. that is um, where her where her misplaced comment came from. Um, it's she's realizing they don't need me anymore. And it wasn't like, misplaced. It was it was it well, was she a, meant it was a say, Karen. Yeah, she, it, it was, was a Karen yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was calculated. It was a it was. Karen tweet. It I mean was. it just yeah. it was no, I'm sorry. The uh, the creative process is often collaborative. You'll have like a, a guitar player who comes up with a riff that really makes mm-hmm. your song. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, um, mm-hmm. maybe they don't have the right manager or something to get a writing credit. They don't actually they, they don't mm-hmm. actually get uh, acknowledged as the person who brought in something that that makes the song what it what it's known to be. Right. Or um, I don't know. Think of it like this: with Billie Jean, what's the first thing you think about with Billie Jean? Is it the beat? The the bass line, the bass line. The beat. Do we know who played those bass lines? Do we know that Ndugu Chancellor like was the one actually that did the beat on all 100 plus takes of it? Um, but they weren't credited as writers. And I'm not saying that exactly. like, you know, oh, Michael Jackson was shady. It's like, it's just, there's a no. different industry. Right, that was just the way it worked, right? Right. Well, people so, act yeah. like, people act like the songwriting rules are like the Ten Commandments. They don't understand that like an industry mm-hmm. produced those songs based upon an industry that revolved around sheet music at the time and mm-hmm. the entire history of black contribution to pop music has been adding that spice to it adding a little improv to right it. exactly like the way that the laws are written so like i don't mind beyonce putting her name whitney i wish had had her name on more stuff because right. she didn't get i mean you know she her estate wasn't nearly as big as it should have been you know so i mean mm-hmm. sometimes you do have to sometimes until the system gets right you do have to mm-hmm. you know judge the, you get you know mess with the system a little bit and i don't hate on beyonce at all for doing that i mean well again I'm, it goes it, yeah. it goes back to what you were saying craig before that it's anything that threatens that white supremacist position because mm-hmm. the way that they were able to hold everyone else back from that generational wealth is say you're obviously contributing you're the one that's adding something to the song that's making it what it is but if we tell you oh no but see you don't get really credit on that because you aren't the main person that you know filled out these forms and that's part of the union and that does this and that and it's like then you're not getting any proceeds off it 
So now that there are artists saying like, no, I want to help everybody that gave any little piece of inspiration to me because I'm helping you for the future. Again, going back to, you know, what Jay may talk about in his songs and people want to write it off and, you know, turn their head. And it's like, but he is just trying to help you and tell you something positive. But just Diane, just the one point with Diane. I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, we're talking about Renaissance or rather we talked about Renaissance for two hours, but outside of that there's not that many artists that are leaning as heavily into these conceptual albums anymore and that's also the thing is that formulaically not even just in the black music space but just any pop artist whatsoever like you needed to plug in this type of song and that type of song and this type mm-hmm. of song and, that's and that doesn't happen anymore because now it's back to being such a singles based space you know and and with streaming mm-hmm. people even if you do put out an album that you may feel like should be listened to all at once as an album most people don't have the attention span to do so so when you move further and further away from that then you're not going to really reach out for like a diane warren ballad because it's like why would i need that is that really going to be what's going to grab people to listen to in the streaming age is that going to be like my hot single that everyone's going to be looking up no it only fit in that you know pretty little Eric. box of like on my album you need this schmaltzy ballad you know at mm-hmm. some point but because at the best case yeah. condition for like an r&b artist you could get r&b play pop play and ac play and mm-hmm. you would get a multi-format hit yeah in the best condition yeah. but that that like worked for like three people and they kept mm-hmm. the formula going for 10 years way too long know? yeah <laughs> You know who else is condescending like her? Uh, the the lady that used to be married to Sarah Gilbert. I forgot her name, but ever oh, since yeah. she shaded um, Sheila E, I was I, once she said Linda Sheila, Perry. she was on. Uh, yeah, she shaded yeah. Sheila E. I was done with her. I said talking about she wasn't relevant to do the Billboard. Was, I was about to, I was about to flip out. I was like, you fucking old ass. You ain't wrote a hit since Pink's uh, rock album in 2000. When, when have you done a great record in the early 2000s? You about as relevant as she is, then, if we're going with that logic. I mean, relevant is a yeah, real yeah. buzzword where if you say, like, yeah. oh, they're not relevant, it implicitly that's like relevant to you. So, like, if for some reason you're able to like be as old as you are and Sheila E means nothing to you, what have you not been listening to? What have you been avoiding? And is there are there holes in your music knowledge that maybe make you? Ironically, less relevant. She's a music snob. I can smell it on her. Those fucking asshole musicians that think they're the purest. As jazz musicians are like that too, because they won't talk to like us in this space. They wouldn't talk to y'all because y'all not technically musical theory. Y'all don't know uh, A flat from B flat, so we're not going to talk music with you. Fuck her. I can't stand people like that. I'm getting hot thinking about it. How dare you disrespect Sheila E. I was like, she was friends with Prince. I was like, you act like she was some bitch on the street. I'll just, just get me hot thinking about it. Go ahead. My bad, Mark. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you are not wrong. <laughs> but no, I, I feel like somebody else wanted to, wanted to cut in. Okay. My, my, my bad. It, it's, it's no, just, I would just. But yeah. If you don't yeah. know about Prince, it's just kind of like, well, no. Sometimes people give their opinion and it tells you what they don't know. And right. at that point, everyone should be like, well, now that we realize this, could you kindly just take a seat? No, you're not entirely just, dis- dis- you know, uh, discounted. And she but- got a lot of flack for it, too, because I know Questlove blew deserved. it up on his social media and she deserved every heat that was coming at her. And then I think the BET Awards had her a part of the whole tribute 
she curated the whole thing and I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, the musical directed it. And now, and now yeah. she's on Beyonce Renaissance and Lindsay Perry is How about not. that? Right, right, exactly. What you doing? Uh, lost all your I'm money to that Okay, so what's probably not going to happen in the grand scheme of things, we won't be discussing the the Diane Warren dust up. We won't be discussing Khalees because she's no longer like you know on the album and whatnot. Um, and, and again, like those yeah. things have their place, but like so like you no know, twenty, thirty, forty years from now, what do you think people are actually going to pull from this? Is it going to be like a thriller for somebody? Because I feel like if it's allowed to have the cultural impact that it can have, it can absolutely be her thriller. Like people are saying, like, oh, is this her best album? It's hard to tell. It does take some time, but I'm like, the more I listen to it, I'm like, this is surprisingly good. Like it's not just the single. It's it's like all through the album. Like everyone has a favorite and like in your favorite, everyone has a different part of it. Where there's just like there's hooks everywhere. I'm like, I don't know how she went through this recording process and decided this is in, this is out, this is hot, this is not. But like what she's come up with is an amazing collection of stuff where I'm just kinda like, yeah, I mean, people can hate you, but it's only gonna hurt them because this is an extremely good product. I feel honestly like when people bring up anything as huge as like a thriller, everyone, you know, gets a little nervous about trying to compare. But I will say that this really has, you know, done better in this streaming microwave attention span age than anything of probably the last five to 10 years easy because I haven't seen anyone talk about an album for this many weeks consistently and then to throw in the fact that there's not videos she's not really out there promoting it it's like so that's just off the strength of the music so to see something like that already happening with it six seven weeks into it i think you know anything's possible hey did anybody see uh rocket man the, the movie the elton john movie yeah, I thought it was like loads better than Bohemian Rhapsody for whatever sort. There was just like two big uh, biopics of, of you know British musicians, um, but when it came award show time, Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody got all of the attention because it was more recently released. You know, Rocket Man had been out in the summertime, and so it had cooled, and nothing had like reinvigorated it. I feel like this might be a really genius marketing plan to put the music out let the music do what it's doing let the stands like you know give it its own life and then you know if she does release music videos that'll be another boost in it that may carry it right on through to the award season where people are doing all the voting and whatnot so that it can go through and perhaps be what lemonade could have rightfully been but for whatever reasons it was not so i i think beyonce is she doesn't have to play that game but i think she's absolutely eligible to win it I thought the I thought Lemonade was more of her thriller because it because it released it on a HBO on HBO's platform and everybody was awaiting it like it was like what they did with Thriller when it was released in uh, Thriller film was a slow build. I mean, Thriller yeah. started. Oh, okay. People don't remember Thriller started with The Girl Is Mine. Mm -hmm. first thing just, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, because I remember because I bought the third with Girl Is Mine. You know what I mean? So and I bought Thriller the first day. Like it was. It was a grower, and then the Billie Jean video came out, and that kind of got a buzz, and that was played, and then Beat It came. So it was like a multi-year thing. By the time Thriller came out, to be honest with you, I was tired of it by the time that whole premiere, and you know, I, I just was over it. But 
So I don't know, you know, I think the way we can compare, I think the only way we compare things like that, because we can't compare sales because things are different. I think the only thing we can kind of do is like, does, did something dominate the cultural conversation and did it kind of open up new commercial and artistic possibilities within the industry? And for that, because we can't judge longevity because who knows, but like, with that, it definitely seems like, well, actually, it seemed like Beyonce with self-titled really did that. You know, she really, really dominated the cultural conversation and she really helped yeah. change the industry. And she opened up this whole thing for people to do these simultaneous video albums. So, I mean, I think in the future, especially in the post-album era, we might just be, we might not be talking about like albums as the thing that is the unit of um cultural impact it might just be the artists you know what i mean we might just be talking about mm -hmm. beyonce and we might just be talking about like the lemonade i mean the self-titled through renaissance era or something like that as opposed to being so tied to a particular album i don't know but that's just you know i, I just don't know that it's going to be the, the same but um i think anytime you know when i think about thriller it's like anytime like you start seeing stuff on the national news, you know, you start seeing stuff, Time magazine covers and things like that. You know, it, it's like when a record really starts to go way outside of the music world so that so many people know about it. And I think Beyonce just in general as an artist has kind of established that. So I'm probably gonna get a lot of hate from MJ fans. I'm, I'm just talking, I'm talking about two different eras. So don't please You don't. get a lot of hate. Period. Anyway, you get you yeah. get all the stands in your in your comments. I, I mean, your comments. And I don't know why. And I don't really be hating <laughs> you get on all artists. Of them. That's the crazy thing. But I don't no. really be hating on or, or or be expressing negative opinion. I don't know. People don't want. Craig, truth. I don't know they how don't you serious do it. conversation right. anymore. Like you said, it, it, it's about the stay in culture. It's not love. It's obsession. If you don't agree with everything yeah. I say, then you're just the enemy. It's it's. And that's all messy. it is in his comments. I was like, mm. y'all not know who y'all talking to. Like your favorite. <laughs> it's like he's literally. I I told you one time on Twitter. I was like, I would just. Throw the, I would throw my my resume down like the big joker in spades if I was you. Like I wouldn't even, bam, just just look at it. Like that. I appreciate that. You know, I, I mean, yeah. my thing. You know, it's about just. I always go back to my intention. Why am I even in this space? Why am I even <laughs> on Twitter? And the point is that I'm trying to. <laughs> build a bridge to the younger generation and i'm trying to whatever knowledge i have i don't know how much longer i'll be on this earth we, we just don't never, ever know that at a certain point so if i can put out information and if i can have the stuff just out there then i feel like i'm serving my purpose and in the mm -hmm. backlash i just i mean it's you those know, young ones they think they know yeah. it all it's like they get information and it's like i gotta tell everybody i gotta tell twitter hey did you know that outcast uh, first album, it's great. Like, yeah, we knew it. We bought it when it came out. Like, <laughs> they like they the first one to discover shit. That's what gets. And it's like, no, like, and then they like, they were born in '98. And you trying to tell us about an album that came out in '93? It's like, I'm not or, saying you know, that you can't be younger. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the thing is, you can be younger and you can tell somebody about the album. What you can't do is tell somebody about how the album was received and the environment at the, time. Yeah. at the time because you don't have that frame of reference. I tell people all the time, 
I can tell my parents more about their favorite albums than they can. But what I can't right. tell them is what was going on the day the album was dropped, who mm-hmm. was playing the album, what right. stations weren't playing the album, what songs were immediate favorites, what songs were sleeper songs. I can't tell them right. that, but I can tell oh, I can tell you about the album. I can tell you who's on the album, who's saying background, I can tell you who wrote this. I can tell you why they decided yeah. to take this line out. But I think music but fans, approach, a lot of them, your approach they get is it different confused. though from from them. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They get it confused, and they think that being able to tell someone about a certain project or a certain artist is the same as being able to tell someone, oh yeah, when Fuji dropped the score, this was what everybody's listening to. This is what everybody said. Every, nobody liked this line from Lauren. Everybody loved this from Warclub. Like, mm-hmm. they can't tell you that, but they yeah. want to believe that they can. That they can. And just like that right. whole, the thing that really like irked me recently was the whole thing, the narrative, because they were trying to make, they were trying to diss Cardi, I believe. So they were, they were trying to make a parallel of Nikki and Cardi to little kim and foxy little. which was no comparison because little kim and foxy were contemporaries cardi came out like a decade into a decade his after. career like you yeah. and they were trying to make it oh no foxy was created to go against little kim and it's like they, they were contemporary kim might have come mm-hmm. out a couple of weeks a month before yeah. with junior mafia but foxy was on that ll remix like it was just it was all mm-hmm. They were both, yeah, Bubbling in Brooklyn, and yeah, you know, it was, like yeah. I, I don't so even pretty. know how you answer that conversation. I mean, like it's just so frustrating. You can't prove it, and then their evidence is always like a thirty-second clip that Nas said on drunk on drunk champs or something like that. You know, some random mm-hmm. thing. So I'm sorry, so Mark, but we were taking it back to Craig. What you were saying about um, <laughs> having black writers have opportunities. A lot of the things that people who are listening to old music now are basing it on is the journalism that that exists. Like that's the research they can go back and you know inform mm-hmm. themselves on. So if for some reason we don't get the narrative to like you know write about you know Renaissance now as Black people that actually encapsulates our experience, then people will be able to easily revise history and say like, oh yeah, this happened, that didn't happen, and this was big and that was small, and be like, well, I was there, and that is absolutely incorrect. So like if for some reason like our current experience doesn't get canonized somewhere so we're just kind of like this is actually what black people were doing this is actually what people rocked with then like it's it's actually in a sense a threat to the culture itself because later on people will be able to repaint it a certain way and then control the effect that the the culture itself has Mm -hmm. it's small but it's not when you look at it no it's not it's all a part of black it's it's all a part of black erasure i mean archiving our history is it's that's where our truth is preserved and it's like and that's why it's so upsetting i think that a lot of the distortion that's coming now is coming from younger black people so it's like okay so we have to fight the distortion that's coming from white says some white audiences that we trying to make the music seem more irrelevant but then these stands are just having these random fights and kind of distorting the culture mm-hmm. just for to prove their little argument. And it's like that. Right. It's like, what you doing? You know, like. Mm-hmm. I do have yeah. one point with what Mark was questioning about Renaissance and where it will stand just in the pantheon of pop culture in the future. I am curious to really know what the 
global reaction has been outside of, I know in the UK, but just the thing with Thriller and, and what people always bring up about Michael is that, you know, you could have gone into like the most remote village, you know, on an island somewhere or whatever. And people knew Thriller, people knew Michael Jackson, people were wearing like, you know, some recycled t-shirts from, you know, the, the stash from his tour or whatever. And what they always bring up with Beyonce is that obviously she had these gargantuan moments in pop culture history with stuff like, you know, single ladies or, you know, obviously crazy in love, but people apparently like globally lemonade wasn't like that huge, you know, anywhere in the world. Like that you could just say, if you went anywhere in the world and dropped, you know, into someone's town and said, quick, you know, give me the lyrics to this song and that song like on Lemonade and people just didn't know. Like they just didn't dive into it in that way. And part of it, again, goes back to the discomfort with the subject matter and whether or not it translated for everyone. You know, I know SNL had done that skit around that time, like right after it dropped, like the day people realized Beyonce was black and it was supposed to be like a horror movie trailer where it was like all these white people like crying and screaming like, what? She's black? Because, you know, then that was what turned them off to it. Like, oh, I don't understand this. If I'm not centered, then I'm just going to say that it sucks. And it's like, you don't even understand it. And that's, again, fine. It could be your favorite artist in the world. And you're like, ah, this isn't my favorite album from her. Okay, cool. But if you're going to write it off in that way, then obviously, you know, take it or leave it. There's a large chunk of people that you're losing as your audience. And as an artist, you may not care because this is still a part of what you needed to get out there for your own personal growth and your messaging. But you're never going to get to that point then to be a universally accepted and loved artist or for their, a particular project that you put out. And as long as you're fine with that and you're aware of that, then that's great. You know, the stands don't get that and they don't understand that, that it's like this album may be the best thing in the world to you. You may think that it's the most culturally relevant. You may think that it deserves all the awards in the world. But if you're going to bring up something like a thriller, you have to understand what you're going up against because that is an album that was just universally accepted. Maybe not like Craig was saying at the right. beginning, but obviously where we're at now, you know that it's just no matter where in the world, you know, there there's still children, like little children, three and four years old that are obsessed with Michael and are obsessed with Thriller and, you know, know all the lyrics to it. And that's really not happening with Lemonade now all, you know, what is it, six years since that release? So... Is that happening with Renaissance? I don't know. You know, it's like, I, I just personally don't know. And I'm curious to see what I think you're the totally reaction right. is. I mean, I think you're like totally that. right in that, like, just the way that Michael paired the visual with that very specific fashion statement with the dancing that, you know, with the international global distribution of CBS Records at the time, like I just think there's, and the way the media worked, it's, I, I just don't know that we'll ever have a moment like that, you know what I mean? And I think that, so I do totally uh, agree with you, and it's, but it's sort of like, maybe we won't have an artist like that again, because I mean, Beyonce really couldn't be that because her music is now so specific coming out of her experience right. as a black woman and as a mom mm -hmm. and everything like that, and I mean, that's only going to be but so universal. I don't know. Um, but I do totally get your point that I, I totally think that that was a really important point that um, just the 
like amount of Michael bootlegs and just all that kind of stuff like yeah. in African countries and throughout Asia and just all of that kind of stuff and just people dressing like him and doing that was something that we probably won't see replicated um, right perhaps ever again I should probably uh, caveat like anytime I compare anything to Thriller like I know that nothing is selling 40 million copies anywhere that's just not happening. And now that we have a streaming era, I think since since you know the dawn of Napster, like in, in the the late '90s, it's had a direct effect on sales. So you can't really compare sales the same way. It's almost like when you compare, uh, you know, the cost of, of of gas 20 years ago being like a dollar a gallon to now being you know six and seven dollars a gallon. Like there's an entirely different world that if you don't know about it, then you can't compare it easily. So it's like you no, know, when I'm making the comparison, I'm comparing it maybe to like the impact of through. Or, or maybe yeah. the, the aesthetic of a thriller, but like, there's never going to be another thriller. Like, there's never going to be another Michael Jackson. And again, like, we're talking about um, culture and how it how it affects things. Um, Michael put up most of the music that he had in his lifetime, and we've gotten the ultimate collection that has a lot of the things that were in his vault. Whereas, you know, with Prince, there's still things that are coming out with the vault. So, what's going to be able to happen? I'm, I mean, watch it here and mark my words, but. Um, it's going to be really easy uh, to peg Prince as the larger artist because he'll be more more relevant longer with these things that are coming out as new and with being able to be in the the news cycles longer. Um, you know, that's just the case. Like, I kind of hope that Beyonce has a whole bunch of bootlegs that'll keep you know Sir and Rummy and and uh, is it Rummy? I think it's Rummy. Yeah. <laughs> and Blue, you know, eaten for a long time. And like, I love the idea that. You know, she's a powerhouse and that, that they're building black wealth that will happen because so often you would, we would see artists that are huge like Beyonce or, or Michael or Prince. But because the people who own their masters or their publishing were like collecting all the cash, then essentially like who benefited from like George Clinton or, or you know, Sly, Sly Stone or whatever. It, it would be like somebody who owned the publishing or owned the masters. And so like, yeah, you know, they could be saying like, yeah, you know, listen to James Brown for, uh, you know, for, for Black Pride Month. But essentially like the person who was getting paid was going to be at Polygram Records and they were anything but black. So like, yeah, I, I want her to make this money just for us. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I, I feel also again you know it's a good point that it's a different world and when things shift when things shift when the culture shifts with the way that you receive art you know now with streaming i know there's a lot of people that will always bring up when they get offended if they bring up that beyonce's at the same level as michael and that she's putting out thriller type projects and then if you push back on that and say what I had said before about, you know, the global recognition and the impact and all that, they'll often come back with the argument that had Beyonce dropped, like, let's say Lemonade in a time like when Thriller was dropped, where there's less platforms, less channels, less products getting attention, and she was all over the place pushing that, then it would have been received in the same way. But I still don't agree with that because again, no, because it just comes back to the no, material. Not with the climate, it was. Right, right. The, right, climate, what, the material, it would the not. Climate, the climate, right. The release would have never happened. Right. It would have never happened. The thing right. that she sang about on Lemonade right. in 1983. Right. Like, th- there's no way that she would have been able to sing about the things that she sang about on Destiny Child's first album in 1983. <laughs> like, it, it was just the climate was so different politically, socially, right. and artistically mm-hmm. that her as a Black woman and Michael as a Black man 
there was never a way that that comparison would have been able to happen. Like, and think about it in the 80s, we typically don't compare the biggest selling women albums with the biggest selling men albums because at that time i think men were just allowed more artistic freedom and they were allowed to express themselves differently than women were um i'm thinking like janet in the 80s until janet came along with control you know but i mean whitney was whitney was designed to be the anti-statement like every song was there was like Hey, does this have any kind of statement in it? All right, it makes the album. If, if it had right. any bit of a, so um, yeah, I think that's so um, right. And that's also the thing that kind of bothers me though when people talk about like who's the best performer, who gives the best shows, because Beyonce is able to stage these spectacular displays of blackness at, at these huge scales that like a Janet or Michael was not able to do because the climate was just different. So like mm-hmm. there is a way that you can watch Homecoming and watch like the bad world tour. And yeah, Homecoming to me is more dynamic because it had all the black references and all that kind of stuff and everything like that. But that's not saying that the person is a better performer necessarily, but they are sometimes able to make more cult black artists are able to make more culturally resonant grand statements now than we were 10 20 years ago so that's why these kind of comparisons just don't work and they don't really do a service to either artist like to compare what janet was able to do with velvet rope she was pushing the envelope of how much she could get away with blackness and pop radio turned against her all she did was do one video with all black people in it and pop radio didn't want anything to do with that record Mm -hmm. fortunately they came back with together again but you know but she pushed it too far so it's like people can only do what they want they can possibly do at what allows them at the time if they still want to get that pop success and get everything like that and that's why we kind of just have to like let these people be and talk and contextualize them but not try to compare i think right i don't know and and with with lemonade specifically and you're saying with these grandiose performances that celebrate black culture i mean as as far as like formation at the super bowl and them saying you know framing it as being you know anti-police and the black panthers and this and that that alone was going to discount it from any you know mainstream white audiences giving it an award because they were like, you know, that's what made them mad. That's I think it, like the SNL skit might have been after that, you know. And I mean, the references to to Becky and you know her hair on the cover of the album, like they just weren't going to get on board with that. So even yeah. though you know, I see the artistic greatness as being deserving of an award, I also had to kind of accept the reality of like, but it's probably not going to get it. Like, I kind of knew where that was going to go with Lemonade. With Renaissance, I feel like she's opening the door a bit more. So I hope that that course is corrected and they just make sure to give her every accolade that exists at this point. But again, I'm just aware of the reality and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's... Yeah, I just want to add one last thing. Because my dog is getting antsy um, <laughs> to go out. But I wanted to add one thing in that, you know, the other thing that we've had a big change since um, the Thriller days is that we've had the localization of pop music internationally in ways that it wasn't possible then. You know, in the 80s, 
the big pop record, you know, what you needed for production, what you needed to create a video, what you needed to like make an impact that all needed like the big budgets and stuff and needed the distribution of now we have like local pop markets in every country imaginable, like every country as small as whatever, as long as somebody has like an old MacBook and some garage band, they're probably making music in their own language, you know, that reflects the cultural priorities of their community so we just don't live in a in a international society i think where everybody's looking to u.s pop culture as their guidance if anything we're kind of looking outward like hey what's going on with the yep. reggaeton what's going on with the k-pop you know so yeah we i want to wrap this up i want to play the game with y'all it's going to be a quick little five minutes so i can let y'all go. It's called the What's Wrong With You game. I think most of y'all played it, but I've added some new ones in there, and I'm just curious on, on all y'all picks, so everybody's going to play it. Um, let me put the points down. I got my app open. I'm about to see who's going to win this. I feel oh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I not, I'm not this sure. Last time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about, I'm about so to... Everybody we, else everybody, got a disadvantage. Everybody... Every, let me let me start with okay. This is the easy one: Marvin Gaye or Teddy Pendergrass. Marvin Gaye. Marvin. Teddy for me. I, I knew Evie was gonna go Teddy, yeah. but yeah, I'd go Marvin too. I knew Evie was okay. gonna go Teddy too. I'm just I'm thinking of Marvin in the songwriting and the production. I, that's why I was mm-hmm. going with that in mm. terms of like songs. You know, there's a, the Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes era of Teddy is like so deep to my heart. And I probably do listen to that mm-hmm. more than Marvin. But it, like just thinking about what he did with like Hear My Dear and like the just mm-hmm. the production of the layered vocals mm-hmm. and stuff and how influential yeah. that was even till today. That's why I said that. So. Mm-hmm. I don't think Teddy got the chance to be a Marvin because of the accident. But I mean, I like the comparison. Okay, I forgot the. I, I haven't did this uh, since last month. I'm kind of rusty because my last <laughs> my last episode was last month. I forgot to state the rules. Okay, the rules of the game is you basically do I pick what I pick. Uh, it's based on uh, who you put more on your playlist. So if you who play what? more Teddy, so oh, who you play more? I said oh, okay. what you. Yeah, on your playlist. Well, yeah, so if you play, that game, might need to Teddy. start over. Then I mean, I <laughs> right. definitely play more Teddy. Yeah, but I believe okay. Mel- Melvin in the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass. And also, more the rules the of the game is that uh, the the artists uh, you can add in their catalog, their their songwriting credits, producer credits. If you know them, you can add that to your uh, decision making. And so when I go forward, okay, y'all said Teddy Marvin. It's a split on that. That's a bonus. Any anyone y'all. Y'all would have said y'all would have got it right. The next one is the whispers of the OJs. 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 Okay. OJs. So yeah. those. Yeah. Okay. Prince or Rick James. Prince. I mean, obviously. Rick. Prince. I knew EB would say Rick. You know me. It's you know me. You know. <laughs> my Rick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, yes. EB just EB just took the lead because he got plus twenty five. He said Rick, even though I don't care which one, but he said Rick James, so he gets a plus twenty five. Even though I'm a heavy Prince head, I love both of them equally. That's why I made the comparison between them. 
I mean, not a comparison, but I put them in the same thing. Every okay, EB's. Every team made the comparison between yeah. them back in the 80s, you know. Right. Okay, so EB's kind of a hit by 25 points. We're going to see when we get. I feel like. I don't year, know about these rules. The rules. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, now we're at the part of the game where you got to get all these right. The what's wrong with you game, this part of the game, you have to get all these right or you get a what's wrong with you. Okay. It's a little bit of a roller coaster ride because those were the easy ones. I was just, if anyone you would have got right, but EB said Rick, so I gave him plus 25. But this one uh, is Michael Jackson specific. Off the wall or thriller? Off the wall. Off the wall. Off the wall. I knew it was going to be off the wall before you said the second thing. I did too. I did too. Because I was like, hey, what, what, nothing oh, yeah. going to beat that. So, yeah. I was ready to okay. answer the question for you. Okay, y'all talking there right. there been a buzzer. <laughs> you talking right. Okay, the next one. Okay, this is where this shit going to I know it's going to go left. I already know. I feel like it's going to go left, but I'm going to say it anyway. Miss Aretha Franklin or Miss Patty LaBelle? Aretha. Yeah, Aretha. Okay. Aretha. What you got, Mark? What you got, uh, Craig? What were the qualifications again? What was the what was the um... Who do you play more on your playlist? Aretha or Patty? Oh no, I and, think and it's are right. we are, are we including LaBelle, the group? Yeah, it's yeah, anything from should. their catalog. Yeah. Oh, then I would have to yeah. say LaBelle. Okay. I would have to say Patty. I would have to say Patty. Um if so, we're not talking about like who's the most influential if we're talking about who i who i would play the most and yeah i would have to say i would have to say patty or who had okay. better albums because that wasn't patty's strong suit but like i i listened to patty way more okay well, it wasn't really a Aretha so strong suit to... either if you put all of her albums together i mean she has like she got Aretha got albums. lucky a few times with a few good <laughs> albums but yeah. in in general like they both were kind of singles artists like they they could were you great mean like Whitney Houston was like, the same thing yeah it's like great for a single but a whole album sitting down and listening Aretha just had so many that she was bound to get lucky at some time that's just that's mathematics you know that's probability like if you have 128 million albums at least one of them is going to be like a classic album it'll be good patty didn't have as many but patty also didn't have like i can't think of one i can think of one maybe flame i was gonna say burning but okay what's the one what's the one with when you've been blessed on it burning that's burning Burning. okay yes it's burning but i mean but i i i think i'm no skips throughout the entire labelle catalog for me you know hey, hey also when's the nightbirds book coming out because i'm waiting uh that's a long story i decided oh, no. to get my book no. correct what are you playing <laughs> just because because i wasn't gonna write it for that kind of money and give up ownership because i listened oh. to too much jay-z <laughs> right. never mind keep the book. <laughs> listen to too much master p <laughs> and I listened to so and I i'm just, clear i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> i'm on the tangent right, here, here, no <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. You said because you, you listen too much, man. <laughs> no, real talk. I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm not. I, and this has to do with black being black and journalism and stuff like that. I mean, I was gonna get less to write that book than I get to write most, like uh, reviews articles, or most articles yeah. and stuff like that. And I would have had no ownership of it, and I would only right. be getting a royalty rate that would be minuscule. So like, mm-hmm. 
I just have to have ownership of stuff now, you know, so I'm going to do something, but everything I do, I'm going to own unless the money's big enough and the royalty rate is big enough. I want that equity. You know, I was raised in, I'm 70s. I was born in 68. I was raised in that era of black businesses. So that's just in my mind. So, you know. Right. Okay. I'm clear on every, I'm, no, you're, you're, that was perfect. You you speaking on a lot of stuff that could be a whole topic too. Talking about that because that correlates with the music industry as well. What you're talking about, it's the same world. But I'm clear on everybody's answer. But Mark, would you say you say you listen to the more Aretha or more Patty? Patty, because okay. I love Aretha. Patty just shows up more often. Okay, so on this round we got uh, Miss TLC picking Aretha and EB picking Aretha. Okay. The rules of the game is since you didn't pick what I pick before I give you what's wrong with you, you got exactly <laughs> 15 seconds to name me. Uh, since y'all Aretha heads, y'all got at least 15 seconds to name me five album cuts of Aretha's Ooh. that you play on your playlist. Hold on, who's on the clock? Do you need me to uh, get time? <laughs> I got, I got, I got, go ahead, Craig. Got the get the timer for me. Good, you can get first it for snow me. and Kokomo. Um, <laughs> I can't see myself leaving you um, no matter what. Uh, holding on. Um, I mean, truthfully, oh, EB no. could name all of Aretha's track I listings. I'll probably get her on you a couple times. Yes. No, you have 10, sec- 10 more seconds. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm named five, so. <laughs> what? Three seconds. Maybe 15, then. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm gonna tell you honestly is that to me, there's a certain, you know, obviously Prince was very close with Patty and they worked together and they had a close non working relationship as well. And I respect that and I love what they did together and everything. But there's a moment that I, I've talked about a lot on social media that when you go back, of course, and listen to Prince's rehearsals and his jam sessions and things that he would say, tangents he would go off on and when he would just mention something, that there's this magical element of where you see certain soulful connections. And when he went off during one of my absolute favorite Prince songs, Electric Intercourse, to combine it with Aretha, with Daydream, and it just to me showed that even though I know if you probably had the conversation with him in person, he would pick Patty. I just know that there's something about Aretha that to me transcends putting anybody in categories. Like she's like a Stevie, you know, and it's just, Mm -hmm. I think it was also evident in her home going service. I mean, how long was it? It was like 12 hours or something that, it's just hard to on. pit her against anybody. It. it is, it is. Everybody. But it's just hard to really place her with anyone else. To me, just personally, mm-hmm. when you bring up those no. those historical elements, because it's the same thing with Stevie. Like, I feel like you can't talk about Stevie with anyone else, you know? Well, this is the thing. I, the, I played this game because it's not a comparison game. I want to get to the truth. I want to know the rules of the game are 
who do you play on your playlist? I want you to the, the, the direct from what I'm asking, Miss TLC. I want to know the songs you play on your playlist. Name me. You got 15 seconds. Start the clock again, Craig. Then name me five Aretha songs that you play on your playlist. I don't know what I play the most, honestly. Jump to it. <laughs> That's probably okay. what I play okay. the most. I, I mean, okay. it's... I mean, but on the, on the flip side, if we were to be like, okay, name five Patty, would you be able to do that? Yes. That I play the most. I mean, it's hard because if oh, I'm being honest, like what's bad. on my playlist that I listen to all the time, like if I'm being 100% honest right now, the past six weeks, it's like to an embarrassing level that it's mainly Renaissance. Like I haven't even really listened to Prince that much in the past six to seven weeks. Like if we're really being honest, I think a lot of people, you know, when they have these conversations, it's like, well, if I'm really thinking about what have I been listening to lately, it's neither one of them. Like I've really dived so deeply into Renaissance. You know, I make sure that Prince is on every once in a while, but <laughs> my head's just in that space right now. And Renaissance okay. has its, has a lot of princely inflections in it too. I think. So I mean, yeah. Alien Superstar, very specifically. Yeah, yeah I do. Very vanity esque as well. Pure honey. That's so Prince. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen. The rules of the game are you got to pick what I pick. So Evie and Miss TLC didn't pick what I pick, but. Y'all not getting what's wrong with you because I respect y'all answers and I like fucking with E because he's a, I know he's a huge Aretha fan and we did a show for almost five years and we did this game <laughs> and he's he's always uh always Aretha, Aretha. So I can't yeah it's always Aretha and, so and, and honestly I honestly yeah. listen to that much Aretha like it's yeah not, he does that's why it. I like I just no I know that you do I just yeah I'm right. astonished with myself if I look back at like what I've honestly listened to for the past two months, it's, it's Renaissance. It's Renaissance, but it's also because of Renaissance. It's Donna Summer. You know, it's a lot of like just mm. Casablanca, like, you know, yeah. just getting into that headspace with it. But then there's a lot of what I listen to that I think people don't necessarily expect either. I mean, I wish like I could just put it up on the camera right now and show you like what I've actually been listening to amongst the Renaissance because to me it's like references that I kind of feel like I want to hear after I listen to that album. But I'm gonna be the first to admit that all of the classic artists that I would regularly listen to if this was pre-July 29th mm -hmm. have just kind of fallen by the wayside for me right now. Like and I admit, like that's Frank yeah, Sinatra. like it's not yeah, it's not yeah. gonna be permanent, and I know that. But my head right now is so centered around that and around these different ethereal dance connections. And it's and you can uh, hear so much of Jay in that album. Like it's just the, his cadence yeah. in the song it, that he yeah. co-wrote. You can definitely, you yeah. know when there's a Jay line on that album. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean the Drake okay. too, the Drake references. Like yeah. you can tell where what Drake wrote. We haven't okay, even talked so about Beyonce as a rapper, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I, I again, I was talking about how I'm like one of seven people that love Magna Carta. I'm one of four and a half no, people that, that loved seven. the Carter's album. Seven. I love, I, I love that album. I played that album. Miss TLC, you remember it was just uh, exclusive. I don't know if you got a Samsung or not, but it was just for the, yes, the people. Yes, I did at that time. Like, <laughs> yes, it was the first time I could brag to iPhone. You, I was like, see there. That's why you need a Samsung. Y'all bragging about yeah. those iPhones. Look, I remember that, but album. it was hard to download. I remember also there was some. Uh, yeah, there some was a lot of problems. 
Mm. That July 4th weekend. Right. It was pretty but, cool. Yeah. But, but all of that, Craig, I mean, I haven't listened to, to anything else, really. Craig, Craig and, uh, I was about to say Miss TLC, uh, but Mark, Craig and Mark picked Patty. And so just off that off jump, I make up the rules as I go. Y'all got a plus 50 off jump. I respect I respect the truth of Miss TLC. But I lost all the points. You know, but no, you didn't you you had negative fifteen. That's what I gave you for not picking Patty, but your honesty gave you plus twenty, so that gives you an equal five points. Wow. You got five points. Mm. PB, you got a plus 25 with the OJ, with the OJ's round, the Rick James round. You got plus 25. Again, you didn't pick what I picked, so you got a negative 15 points, which puts you at 10. Okay. Yeah, somebody at okay. the game so, show commission is about to blow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, we ain't even got to the good ones yet. I, ain't even, I don't even think... Listen, I'm going to try to speedily go through these. Oh, oh, I'm so fucking nervous. I feel like y'all going to... Y'all gonna, Disrupt my spirit with some of these. Okay, we gonna keep going. Okay, Brian McKnight or no. Babyface. Babyface. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian, but yeah, Babyface. Okay. Okay. What you got, E? Uh, I'm I'm saying Babyface because it's Babyface. Because we're talking writing, production, right? right. Oh, okay. yeah. But, yeah, but I have babyface. to be real. Like in the past, maybe month or two. There has been a lot of Brian McKnight on my playlist. Really? Yeah, yeah, a lot. But of is it, it um, are you listening to that more than a Babyface record? Though is determining. No, it, it's impossible because I've listened to Babyface okay. literally, you know, so much. So yes, it's impossible. Prior okay. to the Renaissance so, days, as I call okay. them now, I was like always listening to a lot. I keep going. <laughs> PR pre-Renaissance. PR. I, um, with the Flower Bomb crew on Clubhouse, we had a night with Babyface and he joined us and we had some great conversations. But after that, I mean, obviously, then it was like going through all his like classic, you know, writing and production. And I mean, it's just mm-hmm. unending. But, but mm-hmm. I really appreciate like that Babyface Tony, you know, that yes. collaboration of the, you know, love, Ooh. marriage, and divorce. And I, mm. I I still go back to like that later Tony stuff. Like EB and I have discussed that as well. I think that she just consistently keeps giving people fire as well. Yep. But yeah, as of the mm-hmm. most recent babyface stuff, like I still go back to like that Tony Babyface project. I still listen to yeah. Babyface's actual his albums, like mm-hmm. yeah. from the eighties, the nineties, and the two thousands. Like I still I still play them. I don't like yeah. I, I'm not into either of them as a vocalist, but like I would say I Craig, never don't say that. You're gonna lose your points if you say that. Say, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Let's keep it <laughs> listen. Don't make me you got listen, everybody got plus fifty on that round because y'all talking right. Do not make me hit the don't make me right, go back on here in backspace. Let me just, mute. just stop while you ahead. You ahead right now. Okay, we got Mark Mark and Craig got a hundred. They got both they got plus fifty on that, so they got a hundred. Miss TLC got 55, EB got 60. So EB's a little, it's a little, little neck and neck with Miss TLC and EB. Okay, this next one. I'm trying to throw these out here real fast. (laughs) I'm trying to throw these out here real fast. Okay, shit, I'm nervous. I'm getting nervous when we get to this one. Okay, SWV. Oh, please talk right. That's it. I don't don't care. That's it. It's SWV. It's SWV. SWV. Or SWV. 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 Listen, 
I was holding my breath because I was like, please say everybody. Okay, plus 50 for everybody because y'all talking. Also, pre-Renaissance era, I was like putting up some singing videos on Instagram, just singing all my SWV. I mean, SWV is like such just a part of me. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. my God. Y'all talking. Everybody got 50 points on that one. So again, <laughs> EBM is TLC still neck and neck. Okay, the next one. Boys to Men or Jodeci. Jodeci. <laughs> well, it was nice being with y'all. It's Boys to Men for me. I'm sorry. But, you know. I respect it. I respect everybody's musical taste with everything. But but I listen to Jodeci very regularly. Again, pre-Renaissance. And pre-Renaissance, when they had released the Jodeci, like the forever my lady anniversary edition with all like the swing mixes and you know all that strip sets i mean on repeat the jazz mixes all of that on repeat like it was on my um my spotify wraps or something like one of those you know uh playlist wrap-up kind of things that they had done because there was a point where i mean i was embarrassing myself with how much i just kept repeating like I'm still waiting. You mean like these mixes, mixes and... like these stay mixes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yeah, all of that. When they yeah. put those all on streaming, hand reach, every road trip, every like, I was just like, oh my god! Now that I could just pull these up streaming, love it. Evie, uh, who did you pick? Who did you say? Uh, I, I'm. It's Joe to see. Uh, I I still I think Boys to Men makes better music as a whole. But I listen to Jodeci almost daily, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mark, who, what? Okay, the same rules apply to Aretha. You got exactly, Craig, timer, please. <laughs> okay. Me, you got exactly 15 <laughs> seconds to name me top three Boys Demon songs on your playlist. Oh, um, Four Seasons of Loneliness. Uh, I, I was going to say that with you. I'm like, he's going to say Four Seasons of Loneliness. <laughs> uh, of course. Um, Water Runs Dry was the first one I really got into. And then there's so mm-hmm. much stuff on... Uh, Cooley Heart Harmony. Two seconds. Two seconds. You better go ahead. Two seconds. Okay. I'll make up the uh, rules. i make up the yeah. rules as I go. You name two songs. You let the timer go out. You didn't get the three. So technically by the rules, I named you four. three songs. Been yeah, but no. you were way past You said the clock. that. Yeah, you were past the clock. I'm sorry. Craig is vicious because he knows they were tied for the lead. He wants You were giving us Mark. albumism reviews, not name a song. You were giving us Mark, you had 15 seconds. Since you didn't name me three songs technically in, in 15 seconds. Okay, you could have you could have got an extra 25. Just for naming three songs, but since you didn't do that, I gotta give you a negative hundred. So you lost all your points. You had hundred and fifty. <laughs> so you got a negative. <laughs> you got a negative wow. hundred fifty points. Wow. Because you didn't name me the non bullshit. I'm playing. I'm so playing. You got. <laughs> I'm, play- <laughs> I'm playing. You got. You got a. You got a plus twenty. I, I, I'm blocking everybody now. I'm mad. <laughs> You the the negative you got you got plus twenty okay because I like I liked your picks those are good picks okay the la- um the next one is uh I forgot the damn list okay this is a bonus Mary J Blige or Faith Evans Mary Mary J Blige oh, I, uh, Mary J Blige it's, it's Mary but that we've That's had this either. very deep discussion on a a radio show or you know what was that but a I couple love years Faith. ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mary has such a. So I listen to a lot of Faith as well, but it is Mary. Yeah. 
Okay, so y'all listen to more Mary. Well, of course, especially that love without the heartbreak, like you know, pre-Renaissance again. I was listening to a lot of that. I listened to it like sixteen times just today. Yeah, there was a day that I had like checked, and I think I got up to like twelve times in a row, and I was like, "This is bad. It's serious." Yeah, (laughs) it's serious. I can't let it go yet. Okay, okay, y'all have all played the "What's Wrong with You" game, and I have determined that there is nothing wrong with Miss TLC, Mr. Mark, Mark, Mark Chappelle. I'm getting tongue-tied because I'm getting sleepy. Uh, Mr. Mark Chappelle, E.B., Craig Seymour. There's nothing wrong with him. And everybody got plus 5,000 points. Nobody lost the game. No no points taken. No winner. You're all winners. You won the game. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to cash up all y'all $1.79 so y'all can get the greatest malt beverage of your choice at any local convenience store. Don't spend it all in one place because cash up takes a little percentage of it. So don't spend it all. I'm going to cash up every single one of y'all $1.79 so y'all can get the finest malt beverage of your choice. Thank y'all for tuning in to Soul Savvy's podcast. Oh, I almost forgot my extra segment real quick. I have a word I play. I mean, a game I play. I call Savvy Association. Name me your first song that comes to your head when you hear this word. The first word is heart. What do you think of when you, what song you hear? No, 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 not heart. Heart, have. What's the first word you think of? I mean, first song you think of when you hear the word have. Have? H-A-V-E? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brandy, have you ever? I was going to say because we just spoke about it, so it was like in my head because we just spoke about it. But, um... Have you ever loved somebody? Um, They have plenty soundtrack, which is great. Yes, which is great. Don't even need to got one. (laughs) I could not think of of a song, and I'm embarrassed right now because it's an easy verb. My assistant sent me the word. I told her to text it to me real quick for this game. And the only one I Amory, all I have also. Oh, yeah. Uh, Or LL Cool J, all I have featuring uh, Jennifer Lopez as well. Oh, God. That that song really just irritates the hell out of me. Oh, my God. That... People are rediscovering that song on TikTok and they... Yeah, because it's so toxic. Yeah. They're like, girl, I'm what you have. That's what you had, baby girl. I'm what you had. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, I, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Right have up there with a- some genuine Nas you owe me. That's right up there with that. He has a very mixed catalog. <laughs> like, it's hard to embrace when, him as a figure. But when EB posts, when you post that, that perfect dancing meme for oh, yes. you owe me. I'm like, yeah. that's LL, exactly what that I picture. People rediscover Quick. accidental racist. <laughs> Quick side note, LL is becoming viral like almost every month because he's done some odd things in his career. People are just now figuring it out like people are rediscovering. <laughs> they, they make Twitter threads and they were like, yo, LL was wilding in some of his videos. Y'all see him pouring Hershey sauce on people with videos and using a girl's leg as a guitar. Mm-hmm. They, and, then, and then they were talking about the big Ellie line. They were like, dude, you're nobody oh, called yeah. you big Ellie. That's such a big Twitter joke. But thank y'all. For I mean, I see in. you at the oh, bus stop every day. Your man must think it's safe for you to travel that way. <laughs> I always bring that back up. Like that is just so cold hearted. But he was he was very confident at that point in his career to just throw stuff out like that. And people were loving it. I mean, I can't believe people I'm, that is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, I was just saying, I can't believe some of the stuff he did in videos that we never questioned it, like him eating apples and oranges and shit in videos. And right. just like, and like a peep show. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, driving by someone who you're apparently trying to impress and it's like, oh, I see you at the bus stop waiting every day. It's like, I'm just, it, it, it was... <laughs> But sometimes it's so true that cringe, people, so cringe. people put out too much music and they have, you know, they are able to stay relevant and get hits. But it's like when it comes time to talk about a legacy and a real impact, it's going to be so hard with him because there's so much crap amidst the, mm-hmm. I mean, for every booming system you have, like the all I have and you have the whatever mm-hmm. for every, um, what was the cut with total that was the jam? You know, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Every one of those you have the million things that are like whack. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't want to be. I don't want. I would not want to be an artist like that. It it just, yeah. You keep getting the hits, but like, what does it all add up to? You know, who who would listen to an LL greatest hits like of that really just has all those singles to it? I I don't know. Well, I mean, it was (laughs) tough that like, (laughs) yeah, you're gonna get conversation because of. The reaction at the time to like a head sprung but then you're ignoring like amazing and amazing is amazing yeah. and then i mean ellos had a, a, a career like three decades well it was three oh, yeah. decades i don't think i remember i need love when it come on right now yeah 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 I, like <laughs> oh, it's, it's probably it's, near four now yeah it's near yeah yes it is near four now i mean it's a lot to be said about somebody who's able to have not just one but multiple hits in each decade but Yo, in multiple like careers said, yeah in multiple careers it's yeah. kind of like you just like throwing stuff like, against the wall though. yeah like yeah you're just throwing stuff against the wall just to see what sticks and i mean it's great if you want to make a hit and you know you got all these hits but you know in 50 years when it's time to sit down and do like an introspect or retrospect of your whole career you got to talk about all the bullshit first before you can get into like you know <laughs> he should do that, that though and title it big ellie because he knows that so many yeah, people joke about people that. like yep. nobody's calling you big ellie exactly. <laughs> What what do y'all have any projects that y'all do y'all want to discuss before we end the podcast? Do anybody have anything? There's anybody any of the listeners need to look out for. I just want people to add me on Medium. It's Medium slash at Mark Chappelle. M A R K C H A P P E L. You can find me on Twitter at Craig's Pop Life, and you can find everything that's going on from there. You know, even if you don't want to follow, you can at least see what i pinned what what's going on and whatever yeah i'll be posting there more often as well i've just had so much other i haven't seen not one of y'all in a long time i know i really haven't been there but i do have stuff that i figure that'll be the best place to just kind of post it if people want to read certain things that i've written and whatnot but a lot of what i was doing was not on public social media so i had to just kind of chill because it takes up a lot of time but i do miss everybody i do miss the conversations that i would have about music so i will be back posting a lot more i am i'm just literally eb for prez on social media i'm really only posting songs on there so don't look for any conversation or anything i'm you can see what i'm listening to that's about it that sounds such, such a mission statement. That sounds like there's a story behind that, but I don't want to make things longer <laughs> than they are. But that sounds that's, just, uh, that's uh, one I of the things that deserves a follow-up. <laughs> I post I post when I can, but basically just see what I'm listening to. 
Yeah, let us know when the EB for president. We used to be able to get gifts that went along with what you were listening to. I know. They, you know, they made it so hard to like post. I'll be like, ah, yeah. And nowadays, like, it's just it's unfortunate. I mean, Craig knows firsthand that you know everybody wants to purposely. You know, misinterpret, misunderstand, yeah. Yeah. start arguments goal. because people have nothing going on in their lives. They're right. bored. There's so much on Netflix. I don't understand. Yeah. And it's like, come on. Like, all of us want to be there to have, like, intelligent discourse about music and expose yeah. people to things that they may not know or make sure that those archives are still alive and well. And you want to yeah. intervene and just drop your nasty comments. It's like, come on. Yeah. On that yeah. optimistic yeah. note. Oh, on that <laughs> note, yeah. Right. As we okay. were talking about one of the most uplifting albums of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the last one, what's your savvy thought on this episode? What did you take from this episode? It is a pleasure to actually discuss this with people who want to discuss it and not feel like it's going to turn into some devolved conversation that we were previously mentioning. I'm glad to be invited and thank you. Nice. I agree. Thank you so much for involving me. I feel like the twists and turns of where we connected this into so many other spaces, I think really speaks to the strength and the impact of the project. And I hope it continues if or if not other pieces acts videos whatever drop the conversation will continue maybe you got um <clears throat> no I, I would just say it, it's refreshing to um be in a space where because i think music history is so important um especially within the confines of culture so it's just refreshing to be in a space where we can um fully discuss an album, be present in the moment, and people won't have to wonder 50 years from now how it was received because these types of things will be documented, which is something that, you know, I don't typically have a lot of from a lot of my favorite artists because things were not documented in the way that they are now with the internet being, you know, this phenomenon medium. Yeah, I was just, I just had a lot of fun just, um, I mean, I learned something from everybody and I'm very thankful for you inviting me and I, you know, it was a lot of fun talking about an album that I really think is important and um, is meaningful to the culture, you know, like it or not like it. I think it's a significant moment in time. So like EB said, like this conversation i feel like will be significant because people will really know how people that were really who were really invested in the music thought about it and had a conversation about it so i thank you for putting it all together my savvy thought I, that y'all said that beautifully uh, i think the educational piece of this album i hope people get it and do the research on house music disco music the music that was derived from uh oppression based uh in a oppression based and it kind of is moving forward i think in this era too hopefully they learn from the past and don't create the same problems with disco and house music like they did in the past and that we learn from the past and learn from future that's what i took from this episode and also that all y'all individually i have immense respect for like in every because all y'all do different in different genres of fields with journalism with uh i know with mark musicianship eric with a music historical piece 
and Miss TLC, also the music historical piece and her knowledge of music from being in the music industry. I just respect all y'all. Thank y'all for taking time out of your schedule. Yeah, I just, and also I need to add in my savvy thought that I need a voice notes compilation of Miss TLC just singing all of her favorite random songs because she was just <laughs> letting out. I'm not going to forget the, the little riffs she was doing because she was killing it. The and faith and the SWV. Every once I, in a while I drop some stuff. Now I, I just need, to, need yeah. to drop one that's like, Prod is what you had, baby girl. I'm what, what you had. had. <laughs> it is so terrible. Now it's stuck in my head. That line is so terrible. You know what, though? Pride is what you had. I'm what you have. You don't need no pride. You don't need pride. No, the crazy thing is, T, we do everything else together. We've never done karaoke. So I know. I know. We got to pick. I just thought about that. Like, we never done karaoke. Please tape that. Miss Karaoke. Miss, I was going to call you Miss Karaoke, Miss TLC. Like I said, I'm getting sleepy. Miss TLC. Oh. You, I'm talking about now when you did that little note when you were singing that one song, even though you didn't care about it. I was like, yo, that note. Listen, I was saying, yeah, I, I left like you're the one, and I was, uh, and oh yeah, with the uh, faith, I was singing like come over. Like every once in a while, I'll sing a little bit on Instagram story. SWV and, and faith. That's what I need to hear from you. <laughs> SWV and faith. That's it. That's all I need. Give me capillation. So every once in a while, there's little sneak peeks of the singing side. But yes, I respect everybody here. I've learned so much from everybody here, and uh, I appreciate the conversation. Mr. Craig Seymour, oh my God, you're such a... Listen, I can't even begin to just really talk about how you're so much important to this culture, like in this time now. Like, I don't know if anybody's... If you get the love on the internet, because I don't see it that often, it's just mostly the people debating, but you're so phenomenal at this, and you've always pushed me to be better like you made me be a better journalist because I just started physically getting copies of my articles because when you said that I forgot if it was on your Twitter space you had uh, curated or some other space uh, digital space you had mentioned like journalists like keep your archives and I just started doing that and but thank you for that you're just you're quite welcome but thank you so much thank you yeah, I yeah, you're such an inspiration, and I ain't gonna get too sappy or whatever because you're gonna make me start crying. Yeah, because you're gonna make me fog really up my glasses. Right. But no, I receive it, and I really feel it, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're, you're so important. You've done so many things in your career, and I think people that's listening to this podcast, I think they should really see like, track your career from how you started get your books first off get your <laughs> get those first and then you know you just such a great creative mind and you just tie everything together i will say before we end the podcast you said one tweet and i read it in your voice you were talking about all people had it was just like a little a thing you threw out you was like all people had to listen to was freddie jackson jam tonight like you were talking about r&b and hip-hop and i i, I was like I was like, how do you? I was like, I thought Freddie Jackson was popping with Jam tonight. I was like, <laughs> he was like, nobody wanted to be Freddie Jackson, and <laughs> but that's oh, the only thing I, I've ever. <laughs> no, I just meant that. I just meant that. Um, you know, that is emblematic of like how the entire R&B radio sounded like around '86, '87. But it was funny so the way like... the way you said it though was funny. It was yeah, oh, I'm sorry. but it was just, you know, and I just people don't quite get how important it was, like when New Jack Swing came along, like for younger people to have a sound, because like every single song was that 
was like a kind of rhythm, you know, and it just for as nice as the songs could be taken in isolation, one after another, after another, after another, it just made the genre feel kind of stale, you know. That's all. But it was funny. Your, your, okay. your sense of humor. Well, like you. I said, it was your, I could find the humor in you. That's how great your writer you are, that I oh, found you. the humor in that, because it was hilarious. It was true, but it was funny at the same time. But I, I have such respect, like I said, with everybody that's on this podcast, and hopefully you tune in, you learned something. Thank you for tuning in to So Sadness Podcast. And sorry, Eddie, for this long <laughs> duration, but you got to edit it. But yeah, we'll be back next episode. We out, y'all. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, Soul Savviness got you. The ultimate getaway. You are listening to the sounds of Soul Savviness Podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease.